If you're looking for a place to hang out, figure out where you can take the next step in your dairy farming business, then you're in the right spot. Welcome to the High Performance Herd podcast. Here we will inform you what you can do today to future-proof your business for tomorrow. A big thanks to our sponsors Fonterra, IDEX, Kuru Diagnostics, Taz Herd, Tasmanian Dairy Trust, Zoetis, NHIA, Data Mars. I'm your host, Andrew Savage. Enjoy this episode of the High Performance Herd podcast wherever you may be listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and jump on our Facebook group, The High Performance Herd Project. Today in the High Performance Herd studio, I have Peter Thurn from Data Gene. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the High Performance Herd Project. And tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Um, well, something, well, it's probably maybe a couple of things. When I'm not, uh, when I'm not working at Data Gene, I, I breed budgerigars, breed exhibition budgerigars, and that's probably my, uh, my little breeding outlet outside of, uh, outside of work. So I have uh, oh, probably about 250 of them at the moment, and we'll start breeding again sometime around May and hopefully breed around 200 this year. So uh, that kind of keeps me busy on the weekends when I'm mucking around with them and judging shows and going to shows and that sort of thing. So, uh, and the other, oh, the other thing is I've just, might be able to, I can see it over my shoulder, I think. I've just started to learn the bass. So, uh, um, you know, I'm not very good. And I'm not <laughs> likely... Go. And I'm not likely to be very good either, but it, uh, oh yeah, it's good to stretch the mind. Oh, definitely no. I think an escape, it's a form of meditation in some ways. I actually play the trombone, have done for years off and on. And uh, yeah, no, it's good. And um, it's a, it's great to have a hobby. And for some maybe Kiwis, and there's the odd European in that here, what is a budgerigar? Because it sounds yeah. like it could be a um, like a bird from Australia, or I'm picking it's not. Look, it is it is a bird from Australia. It's uh, a gregarious little bird that lives in very large flocks in the interior. They're described as a live fast, die young species. So they they kind of ebb and flow with the season and the and kind of the quality of the the quality of the season. So in tough seasons, you know, when there's not enough, not a lot of seed around because they they feed on on grass seed. Well, then there's a decline in the population, and then in a good year they'll um they'll multiply and multiply very rapidly. So um, that's what they are. Some people call them parakeets. John Gould, the naturalist, took some to England, I reckon in the 18, 1800s. And there's, there's quite a big budgerigar fraternity now in England and the UK. And um, they've developed an exhibition budgerigar that looks nothing like the one you would find out in the in the arid regions. It's, um, Will be twice as big and the feathers three times as long, and they wouldn't last out there, but they look attractive. <laughs> there you go. I've learned something I think we probably all have today. And <laughs> I guess on the uh, subject of breeding, uh, you work for Data Gene, which is the Australian, I guess, herd improvement organization or genetic evaluation um, organization. Can you just, for those of us who aren't familiar, uh, give us a, just a quick rundown on Data Gene and how does it work? Yep. So Data Gene was formed in 2016, and it it kind of morphed out of 
what was there previously called a, a group called ADHIS, so the Australian Dairy Herd Improvement Scheme. So Data Gene is a not-for-profit and it has a number of members or, or owners um, and, and we're effectively owned by industry. So, you know, the big stakeholders in Data Gene are the likes of Dairy Australia, National Herd Improvement Association, uh, Australian Dairy Farmers, and then all of the all of the breeding companies, you know, like ABS, Genetics Australia, those guys, all, all the members. You'll find that some of the semen resellers will be members. We've got vet groups that are members. So anyone that has an interest in that space can be a, a member of Data Gene. And we're, we're basically there, you know, our primary function is creating breeding values um, and kind of working in that in that space where nobody else is working. So we try and, you know, if there's other things on the side, they're the, they're the gaps we're trying to, trying to fill. We support the herd, the herd test side of um, the industry to keep that going. And obviously there's, you know, genomics these days as well, which is a, is a big part of what we do. And we create the genomic breeding values as well as the, um, the conventional breeding values that people would have been used to for, for years and years. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess on that topic of breeding values, and a lot of countries, New Zealand and Ireland, the UK have all had their own sense of direction around breeding values, usually um, driven by farmer and consumer. What has been the focus um, over recent years for Data Gene and how do you think this is changing? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because the, you know, We've gone through a number of, I suppose, phases or iterations over the years. And, you know, back in the, back sort of 10 years ago, there was the, the big push on fertility and the fact that we needed to correct um, the effects of that, that um, production focus that we had for many, many years where we, we weren't looking at fertility and we saw a decline in fertility. So, you know, there was a lot of emphasis on that. And then probably, you know, at a similar time or even maybe a little before that, that move to having total performance indexes, which ours is, is known as the BPI or the Balanced Performance Index. So, you know, that allowed, that allowed people to probably make some better, more balanced decisions. And, and it also allowed traits that um, maybe weren't getting a lot of selection pressure at farm level to be actually dragged along because if people were selecting bulls using the, the, the total index, those other traits got dragged along. So traits like, like feed efficiency and that sort of thing, we're making steady gains in that trade, even though there may not necessarily be a lot of people directly selecting for it. So, you know, fertility was probably the big one. And then, you know, the addition of health traits becomes fairly important and we're, we're probably looking to add more and more health traits as we go on. Heat tolerance is a biggie. Um, the work around heat tolerance was, I think, quite instrument, you know, quite, quite seminal in some ways. It, it was, heat tolerance is an interesting one because, you know, unlike herd tests, unlike milk production, for example, you don't have those phenotypes necessarily sitting on farm. You can't go and sort of grab a, a heat tolerance breeding, uh, you know, measurement on farm but what you can do is you can you can look at proxies for, for for heat tolerance so you can look at production decline 
and then marry that production decline up with the weather in the area or the you know and and so you can marry those two things together and create a create a phenotype and then you've got the beauty of genomics so you genomically uh, evaluate those cows and then you relate that genomics back to the phenotype you've created out of the weather rec record and the milk production drop and all of a sudden you've got a breeding value um, that you can apply broadly across the population so it's kind of you know those sorts of traits are becoming the next the next step forward and we're learning of ways where we don't need to have a phenotype on every animal in the country to be able to create these breeding venues and, and make progress. And then probably the latest thing for us in terms of breeding values is the sustainability index. So that's taking an emissions intensity approach. So looking at, looking at reducing the amount of carbon or methane per kilogram of productive output. So per kilo protein, per kilo fat, per litre of milk. So we're trying to produce more product effectively for the same amount of, of methane or carbon so that we're diluting the, uh, the amount of um, carbon per unit of output. So that's probably the next, next big thing for us. We only released that um, late last year. It's had a little bit of uptake and a bit of interest, but you know, I think uh, you know, it's a polarizing space. I think when you start talking about climate change and some people are well and truly boots and all in, some are sitting back and waiting and some are not quite there yet. So, well, may never get there, but that's fine. We've got plenty of tools for them to use for, to breed better cows too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, each, each to their own, I guess, in, in some elements and you're providing people with the tools. Quite interested uh, around the heat tolerance one and, and part of the High Performance Herd project, uh, one of our vets has looked at the collar data, um, rumination and overlaying that with the daily temperature at the farm mm. and seeing some quite interesting um, outputs in relation to uh, cows panting and heat and how's that is affecting production and I guess that's going to be another prong in our in our in our well another tool under our belt isn't it um, and are you seeing a bit around collars as well and maybe some of that starting to enter into the phenotypical stuff? Yeah I think collar data is kind of the next frontier you know, we've got a big project um, just about to commence around what we're calling data ingestion. So it's all about getting those non-traditional forms of data into, into our central data repository so that we can, make, we can make better use of it, but also in some ways so we can help farmers marry up some of that data on their farm. Because in a lot of cases, not all, you know, those systems are, are standalone systems on farm and they don't necessarily talk to each other. So sometimes, you know, if, if it goes into one point, there's the opportunity for the farmer to, to marry that data up and make better use of it. But I think there's, there's a world of stuff in collar data. Um, there's a world of stuff sitting, sitting in a lot of um, vet practices computers, you know, like herd fertility data and those sort of things. Um, there's data sitting in farm software systems that, is, is not making it through to the central data repository. So the more data from those, what we kind of refer to as non-traditional sources, so, you know, outside of herd recording um, and, you know, classification and those sort of things, the more of that data we can get in, you know, the more products we can create, the useful products we can create for farmers, find better solutions for them, 
maybe even create some new phenotypes to create some genomic breeding values. Yeah, that's fantastic. This is probably quite foreign what you're saying to a lot of New Zealand farmers have you know, a system called Minder, where for probably north of 100 years, I think that, that all data has been sent somehow, first by paper and then maybe by fax and now via the internet into a central um, system. And I know a lot of visitors come here and are quite surprised at the, uh, I guess, disjointed nature of where information is sitting but in some ways potentially in the future that might put you at an advantage because we you, like you're saying we can take data from all different points at some stage uh, I guess in looking at farmers on the ground have you seen farmers uh, using your breeding values on farm um, there's tools that you provide that allow farmers to make those decisions around breeding and what bulls they select yeah so so annually we we monitor our genetic progress and you can see, you know, and, and, and the best indicator for that is the cows. I mean, we, we see fantastic genetic progress in the when we look at the bulls, um, and that's all obviously controlled predominantly by the, the, the breeding companies. And we, we know that they're sort of pushing hard on a, on a range of traits. They're making good progress. You know, to understand what our true impact is, it's, it's what's happening on farm. And we, we're seeing nice changes you know, especially around traits like fertility, but, you know, at the same time, without a sacrifice in production, um, you know, traits that are, um, traits like mastitis resistance uh, are sort of starting to, starting to move forward. So there's, we see some nice, some nice upward trends in, in cow ABVs. And we know from any amount of studies that you see an uptrend, up, up, upward trend in, in a breeding value and a population, you're going to have a, a resulting um, effect in the in the actual performance of the population. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you also can generate a, a genetic progress report. Is that right? That farmers can actually track over time how their um, genes or genetic capabilities. Yeah, how they yeah how their yeah, herds tracking, you know, and yeah. and and looking at progress because you know sometimes especially in, in, in instances where a farmer might kind of abdicate his, his breeding decisions to somebody else, sometimes, you know, sometimes they lose track of them, you know, of, of where they're heading because the advisor or whoever it might be might have some different ideas. And, and um, you know, we've, oft, we've often seen cases where herds have, have flatlined because of, because of advice. And then when the farmer sees that, they sort of go, oh, gee, that's, that's not where I thought I was heading, you know? So um, yeah, the genetic progress report's a good tool to keep tabs on, on where you're heading. That's right, yeah, give the farmer control potentially. And sometimes there's a fair bit of commission involved in uh, semen sales and I don't want to, and I can say <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going there. <laughs> but, uh, but again- I've been, there. I've been there before and I'm not going there now. <laughs> But it is about you know the farmer definitely taking control of that. It's a long it's a long term exercise, and it's kind of like when you you know you look at yourself in the mirror every day, and maybe you don't see yourself putting on weight or losing it. But if you if you can actually go back and look or or set a set a clear goal, um, because because you maybe do from year to year get busy and maybe sort of lose sight of that a little bit. Look, I think farmers think that it's a difficult task, and. And I'll, you know, selecting bulls, and ultimately, it's it is so easy, and you know, and you need to do it once or twice a year. And and 
you don't need a lot of balls. You, you probably only need five or six. You know, now with genomics, we've, you know, I used to say you could probably get away with five, you know, in the pre-genomic era. You, these days you might want maybe six or seven so you can sort of spread the risk across a few more genomic balls. If two of those were daughter proven bulls and five of those were genomic bulls, that's probably not a bad mix. And then, you know, select them on the index that works for you. You know, the, the BPI or our health weighted index is another one, you know, for, for guys that are a bit more conscious about, you know, fertility and, and other health traits or the sustainability index. And then just go through and pick bulls that have some characteristics that you might want to change in your herd take a half an hour max, especially if you use something like the good bulls guide, you know, the, the bulls are all there. Um, you can get it in electronic form, you get it in, in paper form and half an hour and the job's done. Um, oh, I love or, it. or the other option is, you know, the, um, the good bulls app is another tool that we've got and you can actually create lists of bulls within the app. You know, when you apply filters and that sort of thing, create lists of balls and bingo, they, you know, it's all there on your, on your phone. Send that off to, um, send that off to your semen guy. That's right. It's a fantastic tool. The book, and if, you, if, if any listener hasn't had a look, even if you're in New Zealand or where you are in New York, you can probably sneak on and, and have a look at that too, I guess. I'm not sure, but uh, it's, you, it's you a fantastic can. tool. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and it, and it gives the farmer back that element of control. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, that's exactly right. Your herd is a very, you know, it's probably the second biggest biggest asset behind the land itself. So, you know, why not why not you know, remain in control of that? And I guess talking about, um, I guess you talk about genomic teams and and proven balls. Australia was a very early adopter of genomics, especially in the female space. It's really only just starting to creep into New Zealand and other places now. They've used it on the male side for quite a few years, but not so much female. I'm not sure if that was uh, because of a reasonably low uptake in herd recording or, or giving you the ability to receive so much more data. Uh, how are you seeing it? How are you seeing farmers adopt genomics? Are you seeing a big increase and in, and in, in, and how they're using it? Yeah, year on year, it's 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 you know usage is definitely increasing, and and I think we're we're now starting to get a little bit more of a it's starting to be used as part of a, a much more integrated approach to breeding on farms. So, it's, you know, there's a, it's, it's primarily being used as a selection tool. And I think there's, there's still way, there's still plenty of scope in terms of getting more value out of genomics, but, you know, primarily being used as a selection tool to work out which cows to breed um, to what, um, which cow, which which heifers maybe to cull, um, that sort of thing. And we're, we're now starting to see these more, uh, you know, well thought out programs where guys are sort of using genomics combined with sex semen. So if you're in an area where you can export, you might only need to breed the top, you know, 20, 25% of your herd plus your heifers to get your replacements using sex semen. Or you go down the down the beef path, you know, and just breed that that top part of your herd, breed your replacements, everything else gets beef, you know. And and I think we'll see we'll see an emerging dairy beef uh, industry 
um, kicking out of this as we need to deal with bobby calves and those sort of things, you'll start to see a lot, lot more people going down this path where they say, right, I need to identify, you know, better identify the cows I want to breed the beef. And genomics is going to be a tool that allows them to do that. And we really are starting to see a lot more of that sort of application of, of genomics. But, and then we haven't even got into the, you know, the mating side yet. You know, I don't think we're, you know, there's a few companies starting to head down that path, but I don't think we're very far advanced in terms of using it to determine maybe what the best animal or what the best mate is for that cow and that sort of thing. You know, and especially from an inbreeding perspective, I think that could be really useful. Yeah, no, that is really interesting. And there was a bit of talk around this at the dairy conference too. Uh, and you know, the process is potentially forcing a farmer's hand that every animal has to enter the food chain. Um, you know, so bobby bobby calves be a thing of the past. So I guess it'd be really powerful to to be able to make some selection process around that. Oh, definitely. You know, you don't want to be, you know, sometimes you've got to breed your best cow to to beef because you know she's on a third in sem or something like that um, and you just want to get her in calf but I, I think we will start to see a more targeted approach in that area where where people are using genomics to identify you know not just the keepers within the herd but the cows to breed the next generation and, and then making some solid decisions around who's going to get beef and who's not going to contribute to the future of the the genetic future of the herd. Yeah, and your like your data ingestion project with um, data gene, you know, is, is a large scale project. But do you get the sense that maybe individual farms will have to have their own data ingestion type system to bring collar information, genomic information, herd test data, uh, all of these different points into one spot, so they can try and make these decisions? Look, I, I think so, but hopefully our project will will kind of facilitate that a bit too. So you know they'll be able to maybe draw some of that data from a central point, even though they might have it sitting on the, they may have it sitting on the same computer on their farm, but they haven't got the ability to marry it together. Or it might be sitting on, some of it might be sitting on here, some on the computer, and we need to find a way of, of joining that data up. So I'd like to think that our, our project might facilitate that. But yeah, I think that's a real big challenge on farm is getting these, these systems to talk to each other so that you can get maximum benefit out of them. I think you're, you're bang on and it's, yeah, it's, it's the next step we can take. Talking about um, genomics, there's been challenges, I guess, historically, I've heard it likened to um, having a cake in front of you and then having to pick the recipe. And I'm talking about crossbred cows and genomics. It's been mm -hmm. very easy in the, in the purebred space. Uh, I understand you've been doing some work on uh, crossbreds and maybe how they can too benefit from genomics, maybe a bit better. Yeah, it's look, it's been one of them. It's kind of been one of the gaps for us, um, you know, because we run a, a breeding value system that's run within breed, or more to the point, and we express our breeding values within breed. We kind of run them all together as you know a crossbreed, but then when we express the breeding values, we split them up into the individual breed bases. So that means in in this country and probably most countries, with the exception of New Zealand, um, you can't compare directly uh, breeding value for a Holstein cow and a Jersey cow, or you know you might have a crossbred cow that's sired by a Holstein bull. She'll go into the Holstein analysis. 
if you've got one side by Jersey Bull, she'll go into the Jersey analysis and you can't compare them. So what we've done is we've created um, what we're calling a within herd ranking tool. And the aim is to launch that in, in April with our April ABB release. And the idea is that it kind of creates a, a, a breeding value equivalent to a PI, you could say. So the average cow for a range of traits, I think there's, a, there's a, a, quite a range of traits and, and our key indices, the average cow in your herd will be 100, irrespective of what breed she is for that trait. So if it's fertility, your average cow is 100. Your good cows are going to be three standard deviations better than that. And we're running a standard deviation at 10. So they're going to be around 130. And the bad ones are going to be down around 70. And so you'll be able to compare within your herd. And you won't be able to use these numbers to compare to your neighbor's herd because we're using a we're creating a base for your herd. But it'll tell you exactly what your average cow is, what your good cows are, what your bad cows are for a range of traits. And then you can basically you know, use things like, you know, like, like Excel or whatever it might be to run some filters and identify cows for the key traits that push your buttons that are the best performers and the worst performers. So it kind of overcomes that problem we've got at the moment of not being able to compare cows because within your herd, you'll be able to compare every cow irrespective of breed and then start to make some much more objective decisions using using the genomic data yeah that'd be a really handy tool and that yeah like you said just then it's, it's purely a genomic measure at this stage pretty much although you know i'm i think you'll get more benefit out of it if you're using genomics because the reliability of the prediction is going to be a lot higher if you if you're not using genomics and you're just looking at parent averages uh, you know you're going to make a lot of blues that's so, right you know i would encourage people to to get in and genomically test to create a, um, or you know, to, to to get a better better set of data to work with, and and that'll be available on our data that website portal. Um, it'll be sitting there as a tool where your herd will come up and you'll be able to download your within herd rankings. Oh, that's excellent. There's a fair bit going on. Uh, you're a busy man, or it's a busy <laughs> team of people, isn't it? So, yeah, um, there, there's there's always something. <laughs> there always will be too uh it's been a really you know you've given us a really cool i guess oversight of data gene and in particular i guess breeding values and tools for farmers what's sort of one key takeaway i guess you would have for farmers around breeding and breeding values and and the tools that data gene has to offer look what i'd say i'd, I'd go back to where i was before around bull selection and and you know and and then say just Keep it simple. There's tools there to make it easy for you. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefit to genomic testing, especially when it's combined with sex semen. And I think in that space, sex semen has become the enabler. You know, if you didn't have sex semen, it'd be difficult to extract the value out of genomic testing because most of the time in the pre-sex semen days, we were struggling to get enough replacements. You know, you're six weeks of AI, if you've got your 25% replacements, you're probably doing really well. Now with sex semen, you can bang out any number of heifers. And so it's become the real enabler then to, or creates the problem of saying, well, now I need to work out who the best ones are. Um, so, you know, my advice would be 
hook into genomics, keep your bull selection simple, and then use the tools, whether it's the within herd ranking tool or just, you know, utilizing the genomic breeding value results to make some, some smarter decisions on your farm and get the most out of your breeding. No, that's, that's great advice. You're right. You, need, don't, you don't need to go alone. Um, the tools are there to be used and that's what it's there for. So I really appreciate you coming in and having a chat chat to us this morning, this afternoon. What is it? Yeah, it's still mornings. And uh, really appreciate you uh, your time and we'll catch up with you at the Herd 23 conference in um, Bendigo. It looks like a good gig too. Yeah, definitely. Yep. yep. Cool. Thanks very much. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Herd podcast. Thanks to the sponsors, Fonterra, IDEX, Kuru Diagnostics, Taz Herd, the Tasmanian Dairy Trust, Zoetis, NHIA, Datamars. Feel free to subscribe and review the podcast. Share it with your friends. The more, the merrier. Jump on Facebook, search the High Performance Herd Project, and you're very welcome to join the High Performance Herd private Facebook group. If you want to see a video of this podcast, jump on YouTube or www.highperformanceherd.com where you'll see a link to these sponsors for more information and more information on the High Performance Herd project, which is a real-life dairy farm, spring block calming right here at Tassie. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.